Welcome to the Coast Conversation. I am Samantha Dunn, Executive Editor of Coast, and you are, who are you? I'm producer Millennial Mike. It feels like it's been a minute. It has been a minute. We're both in the room together again. I know. You've been, you've been just going rogue without me. You've been gallivanting. You have. Okay, let's just get it out of the way. I have a cold sore. It's really bothering me, and I'm so glad we're not videotaping anything. Yes, because that's yeah. all people would focus on. It's you did right before we started. You said you were going to get personal, and who knows what that could mean. Exactly. That's it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. It's horrible. But luckily, I'm among friends here, and one of them is, besides you, Jim Riley. Hi, Jim. Good morning. So who is Jim? I'll tell you what I know, and then he'll tell you more. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So Jim is the co-founder of this amazing organization called Bajo United, which seeks to import amazing Mexican wines. Yes, I said Mexican wines to the U.S. And also supports uh, an amazing effort called Corazon de Vida, which is an organization that supports uh, orphanages throughout Baja. And Jim used to be an executive at In-N-Out Burger. He used to be an executive Ooh. at Kettle One Vodka. He started his own tequila company. And then what happened, Jim? What's, what's, what, what happened? Well, I tried to do nothing. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> opportunity came knocking at the door. That and, seems uh, to happen to you a lot. Oh, and uh, speaking of that opportunity, we forgot to mention that you are a race car driver who does the Baja 1000. Holy crap. Yes. 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 So it, it, how did this all come together? Tell us everything, Jim. Well, to be fair, I've been trying to slow my life down a little bit. Uh-huh. So I've raced less this year than I have in 11 years. So oh. that's a step in the right direction to give me time to add more things to my life. There you go. <laughs> Is that what your wife said? Are you quoting your wife there? Or? No, not at oh, all. Okay. Not, actually, she <laughs> likes the race car driving. She likes that whole world and, and the community that we built. But it's very expensive and yes. it takes a lot of time. Yeah. When, when we're gone for a race, it can be anywhere from five to 10 days, depending on where we're at in the world. So uh, shortening that a little bit for the year. So. Anyways, uh, thanks. Racing, racing plays a huge role in Baja United, right? It really does because it was most of the foundation of why I found myself in Mexico so often for so long. Um, you know, we race down there a couple times a year for the Baja 1000, the Baja 500, the vintage Baja 1000, and we were down there supporting orphanages. And that's been going on, well, at least 11 years now. And, and it, explain to people why you need to support orphanages, right? For, because the Mexican government doesn't doesn't have a well, there's, social s- service system. Yeah, there's definitely a need down there. There's not any real support from the government to get these orphanages going and support them throughout the year, although there is governmental regulations now. Interesting. So you've got the, the worst of both worlds, right? No support, and you've got regulations that you comply with, which are actually a good thing because they are... Um, improving the facilities themselves. That's good. But as racers, I found in that community that people are so grateful that we get to go down there and race on their land through their mountains and fields and farms and everywhere else, anywhere between Ensenada and Cabo, that we've always tried to give back. And it was just a culture thing that I learned early on when I was down there. I don't even know where it originated from within that culture, but I know that there's a big sense of giving back, and most of the race teams gravitate towards the orphanages down there. And I think it's because there's a glaring need. Yeah, mm. you just can't drive by and not notice, right? Even if you're going 110 miles an hour. Even if you're going 100. <laughs> well, what's what's interesting is that the, the culture of racing is one of the largest sports uh, promoted and celebrated in Baja, right next to soccer. 
And you don't realize how important that is when you're in Ensenada or Tijuana because the traditional sports are so big. But when you're 15 hours south of the border and you roll into this really small town and there's 500 people there, but half the people have your sticker or your poster or your hat. That's crazy. And they're asking you for your autograph. You're going, how did they find out who we were? Wow. You realize how big of a sport it is down there. That's crazy. I'm I'm always interested... uh, about the huge community in Orange County of racers. It, we, I did a story years ago about uh, uh, two racers from Orange County, and it seems like it's a big thing among a certain set here. Well, I think culturally West Coast kind of leads the charge on extreme sports mm-hmm. and the transition from whether it be surfing or skateboarding, just that Orange County culture. There's a lot of uh, dirt bikers out here now with the uh, X Games invention, you know, what, 20 years ago? Right. Uh, A lot of those guys were Orange County guys, or at least, i.e., semi-local, cross-trained into surfing and things like that. So you do get that uh, off-road racing culture. What you won't find is a bunch of NASCAR guys out here (laughs) or indie guys. You know, they're all off-road guys. Interesting. Yeah, wow. a lot of those guys with a lot of money, too. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy amount of money. But whatever, men have to spend money on something, don't they? That's what they say. Yeah, and it's better that than a blonde in a Ferrari. That's what I think. I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so how does this all tie into wine and booze? What What's the deal here? Tell us the story, Jim. Well, I, I find it interesting how your life kind of culminates into what you always think is the end game, but then there's another game after that. Uh, I was just talking to my wife yesterday as we were talking about before the show that I started this podcast. And back in my in and out days that you mentioned, I wasn't quite executive status. I did run one of the busiest stores in company history. We were the first store to sell a million hamburgers here. And well, it was actually South LA County. Um, I used to do a lot of interviews there for employees. I'd bounce around and help new stores open and interview all these people. Uh And here I am 30 years later doing a podcast, interviewing people. I'm like, hmm, (laughs) who knew that that was going to culminate into the next thing? Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Well, I had a a great career at In-N-Out Burger. I really enjoyed the company, but it wasn't creative enough for me, if you're Mm -hmm. familiar. Mm -hmm. Hamburgers and fries. Yeah, That's it. No more, no less, right? The thing is not changing. Not changing. That's kind of why I love it, though. Yeah. Right? Keep consistency of everything. You you always know you're going to get a smile and a great burger. <laughs> well, we talked about my brother is an executive there, and uh-huh. I think one of the hardest things that In and Out has to do is say no, mm-hmm. really, because they there's so many uh, there's so much pressure to add things to your menu and do things differently, right. especially in this day and age with right. everybody wanting something special. Whereas right. In and Out has done a really really good job saying no. My brother taught me early on, he goes, the best thing I can do for this company is have the ability to say no to change because we're really good about what we do. Right. Hamburger fry and a drink. So, right. uh, you know, I commend them for doing that. But, uh, you know, because it wasn't creative enough, I dabbled in a couple other careers. So I did spend a little time at a ski resort, which led me to the bar business for mm-hmm. a short period of time. Yes. Um, which is just a really small blurb. And that was up in Lake Tahoe. That I, I ran some restaurants up there. And I moved back down to Orange County, and I started with Kettle One Vodka, and that got me into the spirits industry. I was the vice president of PR and marketing there for almost 10 years before they sold. And then I started my own tequila company. It was really just kind of saying yes to an opportunity that landed on my doorstep and going down to Baja. And uh, I was very comfortable with the culture in Mexico. I be- love the culture in Mexico. You and I have talked about this, just how warm and 
embracing it is. I think it's unfortunate that most people don't understand how great it is down there. Yeah. The the people are special. And until you've had a chance to step outside of, I guess, tourist town, whether that's in Ensenada off the cruise ship in the downtown, until you can actually step into the heart and soul of what Baja and Mexico are all about, you're missing something, right? Right. Totally agreed. Yeah. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I just had this comfort level with uh, with Mexico and the people down there, and I was able to start a tequila company, which, again, was another, for me, a very successful opportunity. It landed um, in about 43 states, Not probably over 10,000 bars and, and restaurants. And that is Azunia? It was Azunia Tequila, yeah. yeah. And uh, that is where I tried to stop working last year, January of 2017, <laughs> when I said I was trying to do a lot less. Yes. I had stepped away to spend more time with my kids at home. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, two little girls, wonderful wife to support me there. And uh, I just landed in another opportunity. <laughs> you just can't get away from it. Well, I was kind of bamboozled, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> My good friend, Eric Morley, he's the owner or co-owner of Blue Sea Advertising there in Costa Mesa, wonderful Orange County business. Yes. Um, and he's been around for almost 30 years. They've been doing a wonderful job. And Eric and I started doing uh, orphanage trips about 10 years ago. Through Mariners, right? Through Mariners. And we were Mariner's also... Mariners Church, that is. Oh, I was going to ask. Yes. Uh, Mariners Mega Church. Mega Church. <laughs> yeah. When, when I started there, it was just that small little property off Bison. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing, it's amazing now. Yeah, the campus itself. If you, okay. if you need to get married, that's the place. They have this beautiful like chapel for weddings. Oh, I didn't know. I <laughs> actually haven't been. I've just been by. So. Check it out. So uh, Eric and I have been doing the, the orphanage runs through Mariners as well as through off-road racing. And he he's followed my career. I've hired them for a number of projects, both at Kettle One and Azunia. And I just love the work that they were doing. But Eric has always told me about these wineries down there. And I've been so focused on looking at the Pacific Ocean and focused on a race. I've never looked east. <laughs> and apparently there's a big wine region there. There is, right? The Guadalupe, right? Yeah. And uh, so I was off for maybe two weeks, stepped away from Azunia Tequila. And Eric says, hey, you got some time in your hands now, huh? I said, yep. He goes, well, you want to go to Baja with me and check out these wineries? Well, I really didn't, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've been telling them no for a couple of years, and, and a lot of other off-road racers have been going to these wineries. I've been telling them no because I was just focused on the tequila, and I kind of felt guilty. I'm like, all right, Eric, I'll go with you. So uh, we went down there, and we visited a lot of the places that you and I visited when you came down. That and you can read about in the June issue of a Coast Magazine, and again in August. That's a really big preview. But anyway, go That's ahead, That's a Jim. double preview That's right there. That's a double preview. <laughs> but yeah, so you... What, you fell in love? Well, so Eric took me to the first winery in the valley as you come in off of uh, Highway 1, and that's called Santo Tomas. And they're one of the older wineries that have been down there. They have uh, over 100 years of history making wine and being involved. And that was a, a nice spot. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. It felt a little bit rustic, so I wasn't sure what to expect throughout the rest of the day. And then we went to a place called Monte Chenique, and then I was absolutely blown away. It is incredible. 
you put it on your list of must do's, Mike. Because Monte Chenique, it is Monte Chenique with an X. Oh, I would yeah. not. So the wine bottles in front of us on the table, I would have not have. Yeah, this is actually, uh, I believe, a Mayan word or one of not the indigenous. Montzanic. Montzanic. No. and that's <laughs> what you want to call it. So Monte Chenique, Monte Chenique, which means uh, mountain, Monte, and then Chenique is a flower, and it's the first flower that comes out in spring. So I think it's a great tribute, and that's their logo yeah. is the little flower with the grapevines on it. But that was my second stop, and that I thought, is incredible. Okay, this wine region's a little bit more than what I thought it was. It is everything you'd see in Napa, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say paint paint a picture of Monte Chenique. Go ahead, what won Jim, you over? Go through. Well, first of all, what I love about Baja and the wineries in the valley there is that they're very accessible, meaning that there's great signage off the road. They're very welcoming mm. when you get there. You can tell they genuinely want you to walk through their doors, and they want to taste you on their wine. Uh, Monte Chenique, when you when you pull up, they've got a front gate and entrance. You know, and it's kind of a grand Monte Chenique opening. Yeah, beautiful and you go wall. Through, yeah, beautiful wall, and then you go through the vineyards. Right, you go through the yeah. flatlands of the vineyards, and then you start going up. Is it a dirt road? It it's is a dirt, a dirt road. road. Yeah, and then you start going up the hill. And the winery itself is dug into the side of the mountain, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it is just this stately, grand, you know, I don't know what you would would say. I mean, experience mm -hmm. with a with a pond with a with a small lake to the side of it, and and huge patios where people are are walking with their wine. There there are places where you can sit and you know feed the ducks and you know. Look out over the valley. It's quite extravagant, actually. Yeah, but what's interesting about it is that it's understated at the same time. And what I mean by that is that they intentionally built it in, into the mountainside, mm. A, for climate control purposes in their cellars, but they also didn't want it to be obtrusive to the environment. So on one hand, you realize this is an incredible piece of architecture, but on the, right. on the other, it's like, well, it's kind of blended into the mountainside. Yeah. And apparently they used almost a mile's worth of shipping rope to decorate the outside of it. So when you look at the walls, they're covered in the shipping rope, mm -hmm. and it almost blends into the mountainside. Wow. But the wine itself, I mean, oh, it's despite the building, the wine itself is incredible. I've brought a couple for you guys to try today. <laughs> and really, it's no exaggeration. I would think you were trying to sell me something if I hadn't gone with you and tasted it myself. But that, they have a, a, one wine there in particular, it, the Grand Ricardo, yes. is the best red I have ever had in my life. I'm not kidding. It is the best red. So yeah. it's it was a day filled with really good wine, though. Yeah, and, and what I love about their story is that when they started that winery, the foundation was to produce a luxury wine, high quality, and they knew it was going to cost more. They they figured they wouldn't make any money at it, mm -hmm. but they the, the group that formed that winery, there was five gentlemen, and what they realized is when they went out, they couldn't buy any Mexican wines at any of the restaurants. Right. So they set out to make a high-quality luxury wine that they would enjoy themselves. Well, that set the standard in the valley there to be one of the best and the first luxury wine. So the Gran Ricardo has won a ton of awards, and it's known as the the luxury wine of Mexico. Right. It's the crown jewel of Mexican wines. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I, here I am with Eric. Now I'm at my second spot. I've got a couple wines in me. We're driving up and down <laughs> dirt roads, which I love, and he knows that. And then our final stop that afternoon was a place called El Cielo. And when you think Napa and kind of that epitome of this French chateau or this Italian building, you know, on the side of the road that's yep. right there, you can't miss it. That's El Cielo. Yes. And uh, feels like Tuscany. 
it feels like Tuscany. Yeah, absolutely. And so we got there and, and we ordered some wine. They have an incredible Chardonnay there. They do. It's called Capricornus. And, you know, what I realized is when I tried it, I'm like, oh, I want to buy some of this. This was all pre-knowing what Eric's intentions were, mm-hmm. by the way. He set you up. Oh, big just- time. <laughs> Best setup ever. And uh, so she said, you know, the girl at the desk, yeah, I can sell you. How much do you want? I said, well, I want to get a case. And Eric taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, well, you know, you can only bring one bottle back across the border. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, legally, you're only allowed one liter per person. So I was really disappointed that I was only going to get one bottle of this great Chardonnay right. I just found. So at any rate, we're sitting outside. We're enjoying the view. You can see the entire valley from there. It's just absolutely stunning. It's late afternoon. The weather's perfect. And Eric goes, so you've been importing tequila the last nine, ten years, haven't you, from Mexico? I said, yeah. He goes, what do you think about importing wine from down here? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I had this idea that I wanted to bootstrap and you know import some wine up. I'm like, well, that sounds like a pretty good time. <laughs> And he goes, well, what do you think? Just like a hobby thing? And I said, well, Eric, I've had a really fantastic day. The wines are way better than I ever thought they would be. And it sounds, you know, it's a really good idea. Let me think about it. So uh, we went back home. We talked about it all the way home, like what that would mean to import wine and how much fun it would be. Now, the genius on Eric's part, two things. First of all, he owns a marketing company. And what he wanted to do is put himself in the shoes of a client, so he wanted to create a client through a business, mm-hmm. and he needs somebody to start that business. And he leveraged his passion for these Baja wines that he and his wife had been enjoying. So he had a plan for his marketing company to create a brand. Second hand, he wanted to do this because it was fun, and he liked the alcohol industry, and, <laughs> and he took me down there to kind of you know get me encouraged to do right. this project with him. So I wrote him back, and I said, well, let's go back down to Baja and take a second trip, which we did. And basically I said, look, I'm interested in doing this, but I have one stipulation. And he's like, what's, what's that? You know, like he was excited. And I said, you know, we've been working with these orphanages for over 10 years, and we come down here once or twice a year to support them for the races, and then we go back home. My biggest problem is I get their emails throughout the year, and I see their need every single month. What they have to have to to live and survive. And I feel bad that we're not always there for them. I said, let's do this. Let's make sure that we create a sustainable business. So instead of it being a hobby or bootstrap, let's create a sustainable business that we could make donations to the orphanages on a regular basis. And that was really the foundation of the business plan that we wrote. That's great. So how did Bajo United come together with Corazón de Vida? Which has been, which is a nonprofit based here in Orange County that was begun by Hilda Pacheco, and her story is amazing. She actually was raised in a Tijuana orphanage, and do you know you know Hilda, right? Well, yes. I was just gonna say not to give myself a plug, but on my new podcast, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> I we- interviewed Hilda, and that will be airing in a couple weeks because Great. I wanted to tell her story, but I really wanted a good reference point. For people like yourself that are right. talking about her, you can say, oh, listen to Jim's podcast because she tells her story. Listen to Jim's podcast. She's so fabulous. The answer fabulous. is yes. She's so fabulous. Available on iTunes and Google Play and wherever you get your your podcasts. Pretty right? much. Pretty okay, much. Yes. Thank it. you. Thank you for that. You're absolutely um, welcome. Well, to answer your question, we were working with an orphanage called Rancho Milagro for a very long time. Most of those 10 years that Eric and I were going down there. And they had over 60 kids there. But as I mentioned earlier, all these governmental regulations were coming in, and they were changing the way that people were able to conduct their businesses, which are the orphanages. And basically, they shut them down. 
It was mm-hmm. fire regulations, which some of the codes that they came up with, like they needed fire retardant paint on the outside of the eaves of the, the roof and the stairwells and things like that. I know that they're, they're for safety, but to shut them down and then push these 65 kids back out into the wilderness, literally, um, just didn't seem right to me. But that's what's happening. There's yeah. a little bit of that. And so we were no longer allowed to work with them because they were basically shut down. They didn't have any more kids. And then I was tasked with, well, who do we donate the money to and how do we figure out the vetting process and is the money going to go to the right place? Right. Well, randomly, I was at a restaurant. Or not. Or not. Randomly never, or not. Never that random, right? <laughs> I was at a very popular restaurant in Baja called Finca. And I was sitting back to back with another table and I was telling my story to my table. And when I got up, the man behind me taps me on the shoulder and he goes, And his name was George Lopez. Go ahead. Yes. Or George Perez. George Perez. And then George says, Hey, you're talking about orphanages. And I said, Yeah, why? <laughs> and he goes, Well, I'm with Corazon de Vida. I'm like, Oh my gosh, really? Well, way back when I was at Kettle One, we used to donate to them. Oh. So I was already familiar with the foundation. You were. And to be honest with you, the only reason why I donated to them is because their connectivity to Baja. I felt it was a great charity and cause in the first place, but we did so many things at Kettle One. They all got lost in the mix. Uh-huh. But to me, it was that connectivity to Baja. Right. So the second he gave me the name, like, I know that name. Uh, I reconnected with George, and immediately when I got back home, I sent him an email. I said, look, we got to get together. I've got an issue. I want to be able to donate, but I'm losing the place that I donate to on a regular basis. Right. So we came up with a formula of what we would do for them, and they become our primary source of our, you know, our donations. Fantastic. They've been around for a very long time. George has been there over 14 years yes. now. And they focus on 10 orphanages a year. They've already vetted them. They know what the needs are. They keep you in the loop. They take tours down there. They allow other people to come down there, really touch and feel what's going on. And I love that they have a yearly focus. Yes. So this year they're building out a dorm for babies at an orphanage in Tijuana. Yes. Because right now there's nowhere for the babies to go. And so that's their goal. It's a $100,000 project, and they've got a great group of people that support the foundation. So it's our pleasure to be working with them. And I love that they're in Orange County. I know. Fantastic. It's a fantastic story, which you can hear about on your podcast. Yes. (laughs) Can I I do want to ask you about the answer is yes. What, What is the goal of the podcast? Thanks for asking. The goal is to have people on that have said yes to opportunities in their life, whether that's business or Mm -hmm. personal, that have made a difference and talk about those outcomes. So like for me, my willingness to say yes to Eric and do this Baja Wine Project, this is literally, and you mentioned a couple of the companies that I work for, they're great companies. In-N-Out yes. Burger, Kettle One Vodka. Fantastic. I've had great careers there. But this is literally the best experience, work experience of my entire life, doing this Baja Wine Project and working mm-hmm. with the orphanages. If I didn't say yes to Eric, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. Right? And it's it's about hearing those stories, because I think there's a lot of people out there that are on the cusp of doing something, but they don't have the courage to do it because they're afraid to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And I want them to hear other people's stories and where they've said yes and what those outcomes are Good and bad, right. mostly good, and it's exciting to to get that reassurance. And after I launched my show, I began receiving phone calls about people going, "Wow, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I was really encouraged by your show and what you were talking about, and this and that." So, I, that that's what yeah. our goal is. I, I love that I, I gave an impromptu talk to some college kids in New York a few years ago, and I found it like the day of, and I was like, "I don't know what I'm going to talk about," and realized, yes. And so that's I like the 
the theme behind that because everything in my life is just because yeah i'll learn more information about the military or podcasting or columbia and then that's the through line yeah we want to dig into specifically the the first series i'm calling it blue collar redefined Mm -hmm. because i want to dig into both college students that may be let's just say you went to college to be a lawyer right? right and you're in college and you realize I don't really like being a lawyer. I want to be something else. So they become that something else, but they live their life feeling guilty that they have a law degree that they've never used. I want to encourage (laughs) them not to feel guilty about not using that law degree because that got them to where they're at doing something hopefully that they really enjoy. Right? That's excellent. The the other part of that is I've been in the alcohol or spirits business for so long. I've met some incredible bartenders, and I've got a friend that works at uh, the St. Regis Hotel. And I remember meeting her. She's one of the best bartenders you've ever been Mixologist. around. Mixologist. Mixologist. <laughs> and what was interesting was when I first met her, I, you know, I said, oh, this is great. You know, you got to love your job. She's like, well, this isn't really my full-time job. You know, I'm going to go to school and do this and that. I'm thinking, wait a minute. You're at the St. Regis. You're probably making 100 grand a year. You're great at your job. You're meeting all these fantastic people. The food is amazing. Why wouldn't this be your career? Right? So I want people to embrace what they love and what they're yeah. doing and realize that even if you're a bartender, whatever it is, it can be your career and mm-hmm. you can sh- you know, s- feel successful in that too. And that, that's so interesting to me because there is this culture now that exists in the United States that didn't exist in previous generations where, where there is a sense that we all have to be lawyers, doctors, white collar workers in order to, to be legitimate in society in mm-hmm. some way. And the whole artisan culture the whole craftsman culture has been negated essentially yeah Uh, and it's a real loss i think and what you're trying to do i think is encourage that again yeah to say wherever you are whatever you're doing as long as you're doing it well and with passion that is that is a beautiful life yeah well my father-in-law is a teacher at a tech school teaching automotive and he said, you know, we really have a lack of students over here. Wow. And it's kind of a lost art. And, and what's going to happen when we've got all these vehicles that need to be fixed and we don't have people to work on them? Right. You know, we talk about my career at In-N-Out Burger. I was making 150 grand a year at 25 years old. Yeah. You don't have to go to college for that. Yeah. I, you know, I worked my way through the ranks. I right. loved the, the job. Mm-hmm. I jumped in with both feet. Yeah. And I made a decision not to go to college. Now they have In-N-Out University. But that's a little bit different. But, you know, there, there was an opportunity there for me to have a thriving career. Most of the employees there are there 25, 30 plus years Interesting. because they realize that this is a career. Yes. You know, and I, so I, I really want to focus on that with my show and talk to people that have made choices of saying yeah. yes. And especially within that segment for the first part of my series. That's great. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Sounds good to me. Talk about the wines a little bit more, will you? What 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 is the uh, range of what you carry, and what can what can people order? Well, on our website, we work with over. Well, right now it's five wineries. We're going to have up to ten on our website. So it's BajaUnitedWines.com, and we have what I love about Monte Chenique that we talked about so much is that they have the traditional varietals. You can get a Cabernet, you can get a Merlot, a Sauvignon Blanc, etc. And it's a wide range of pricing from that $12 bottle all the way up to that $59 bottle of Grand Ricardo, as you mentioned. So that's where you would go for some traditional uh, blends that you're used to seeing at the store. And that's a great introduction to Baja wines. Mm -hmm. Now, we have some more eclectic wines on there that are blends, Mm -hmm. are Tempranillos, are Malbecs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Venacava has a big blend, which is a Syrah, you know, Cab, Merlot, Mix. So you've got some great options on there, and it's a wonderful way to explore Baja. 
Now, one of the things that I was very particular about is we understand that we're creating a category. When you walk into high times down the road, you're not going to see Baja wine section. Yet. Yet. And it's our goal is to create that category. So when you walk into any wine store or anywhere that sells wine, you're going to see Baja wines. Italy, France, Baja, right? Right. Interesting. And we really wanted to make sure that we vetted out the wineries and picked the best because people sometimes only give you one chance and we want to make sure that one chance is the best chance that Baja has to present themselves and that's what we love about the wineries that we're working with right now we know that if you buy anything off our website you're going to be happy with what's in the bottle and that's what you experienced when you came down there that day I did seriously that's I'm sold. Why do you think it is? Because when you think of wine, it is Italy and France and Napa and maybe even Finger Lakes like out in New York. But why why is Mexican wine forgotten or not known about? Well, and and that's a good question. It's not necessarily forgotten because it's just not known about yet. And that's almost been intentional. They have placed a huge priority on the quality of their wines and their sustainability. And even when I started meeting with them last year to talk about bringing them up to the U.S., many of them were ready. Now, keep in mind, when I say they've been operating for a while, Montechanique's selling over 70,000 cases a year. That's a big winery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they really weren't importing to the U.S. They had a very small mom-and-pop operation bringing some wine up here for a few customers. But that was it. They were so concerned about their ability to sustain their business and do a good job and put out a quality wine. For that, Mexico. For Mexico. That they had not really pushed hard into the U.S. So what's happening now is we're really on the cusp of this category and these Baja wines coming this way. And that's why it's starting to gain some traction and a lot of attention. Because as people are exploring and discovering the wines, they realize these are every bit of anything you'll find in Napa or in Europe. Because the quality's there. They've hired some of the top winemakers in the world. They've done the schooling. They've bought the grapes. They've got the history. They just weren't exposing it to us yet. So I feel like I'm a little bit of a Christopher Columbus, you know, bringing something up. <laughs> without the whole yeah, without burn, the atrocities. burning and the atrocities. Yeah, all the other stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? all the other stuff. Well, I'm sold. What do you say? You want to have a drink? I would love to have a drink. Wait, but it's only 11.30 in the morning. I'm okay. fine with that. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you like the music, check out Passages by Lee Offenhauer on iTunes. We are all over social and would love to hear from you, Coast Mag OC. If you like what you heard and don't want to do the work, just subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on wherever your podcatcher is. Rate us, review us, it really helps us out. We want to hear from you. Email us at coast at coastmagazine.com. We'll be back in two weeks. Coast Conversation is a product of Southern California News Group.